0: Good morning. Good morning. Uh, my name's Dustin. I'm on, South, I'm on staff here at South Point, if you don't know me, and we are currently going through this series that we're calling Therefore, Here For, and I just got to be honest with you guys, man, I, I've preached through some tough and challenging passages, but there's some like really serious nuance to what Paul is writing in the words that we're going to read this morning, and so we're going to need the Holy Spirit to show up because Uh, there's a lot of landmines in this passage, Uh, and and when I say landmines, I mean that there are a lot of opportunities in this passage to misinterpret what Paul is instructing, because Paul is about to go on a little bit of a rant and paint this long list of, of, of things that Jesus' followers should and should not be doing. He's about to start calling out some of the specific ways in which the Christians in Ephesus have drifted away from the life that Jesus has called them to live. And that's the first thing that you need to understand before we even open this up, is that this passage we're about to read, this entire letter of Ephesians, is written to Jesus' followers. It's written to people who have put their faith in Jesus and committed their lives to following him. The first mistake a lot of people will make when they read these words is that they'll read them and they'll think, oh, he's not talking about us. He's talking about people who don't believe. He's talking about... Atheists and heathens and non believers, but hear me when I say this. This is written specifically to people who are trying to follow Jesus. People like a lot of us in this room, and so that's the first thing. This is for Jesus followers. That doesn't mean if you're not a Jesus follower yet that this isn't for you and there's nothing for you in this passage, but this letter specifically Paul wrote to Jesus followers. And here's the second thing we need to understand before we read this, and it's the most important thing. What Paul is about to say is not a list of rules that if you follow them, you'll save yourself and go to heaven. What Paul's not about to say is a list of rules that if you follow them, you can save yourself and go to heaven. You can't save yourself. Only Jesus can save you. That's why we read in Ephesians 2 a few weeks ago that it's for by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast it wouldn't make much sense for paul to start off his letter by telling us that it's only by our faith in jesus that we're saved and then just two chapters later start giving us a list of things we can do to save ourselves that's why we read scripture collectively it's not just a bunch of random writings it's all cohesive and needs to be led in red and read in light of one another and so we're going to read through this entire passage and I'm actually not going to stop and like, unpack these individual sins and instructions because if I did that, I'd, I'd be turning your attention to yourself. I'd be saying, these are all these things you can do, and if you do these things, your life will be better and you can save yourself. And I'm not going to do that because Jesus is the answer. You're not the answer. And so rather than going through this passage and breaking down all these specific instructions, I need you to know that as we read through this, my sole goal and purpose here is through this passage to get your eyes on Jesus, because wherever you are in your life right now, whatever it is that you need, whatever it is that you feel like you're lacking, Jesus is the only place you're going to find it, the answer isn't within yourself, and so we're going to be starting in Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 25, and we're going to be reading for a while, Uh, and you guys can control that, because I'm going to read it out of my Bible, but first we need to pray, Lord, uh, we just need your help, um, We need your help, first I need your help to to preach this accurately, but we all need your help to hear this clearly, and we need the help of the Holy Spirit to see Jesus in these words and give us clarity about what it is that you want for us, Um, and so I just commit that to you, God, and trusting you for it, in Jesus' name, amen. So Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 25, it says this, therefore, having put away falsehood, let that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, Context is really important when we read the Bible, so it's important to understand again that this letter wasn't written like in a vacuum. It was written to a specific group of people at a specific time. It was written to these Christians in the city called Ephesus. And what you need to know about Ephesus is that as a city, as a society, Ephesus was a city That was really full of sexual promiscuity and perversion and prostitution. And even these things were practiced in like the Greek religious temples. Not the Christian religious temples, but the Greek god temples. Sex dominated their society. And then beyond the sexual stuff, like mental acuity and intelligence meant like everything. How you presented yourself and how you were perceived was like everything. If you weren't attractive, well then you at least better be smart. If you're not attractive or smart, then you at least better be strong. If you're not any of those things, you better have money. And if you don't have any of these things, then you're pretty much useless to society. And so you better pursue one or all of them with everything you have, or they'll just kind of throw you out. Ephesus was ruthless, and it was, it was pretty rough. And I don't need to tell you guys that whether you're following Jesus or not, that the longer you allow yourself to just soak in a society like this, the more it begins to take a hold of you. Well, these Ephesian Christians that Paul was writing to, just like 15 years or so before this letter was written, these Ephesian Christians had had this life-changing experience in which they decided to follow Jesus. They'd forsaken everything that they'd been participating in up to this point, like the sexual sin, the self-serving, self-promoting, self-saving approach to life, like they laid all that down at the feet of Jesus, and they'd been brought to life. It was the greatest thing that had ever happened to them. But then, for the next 15 years, they just soaked and they steeped back with the rest of society. Instead of immersing themselves in the things of God, instead they tried to live for God while immersing themselves still in the things of their society. They just kind of sat in the moral decay of the world that they were living in. They didn't Flee from it. They didn't rebuke it. They just kind of sat passively in it, even participated in it. And they assumed they could do that and everything would be all right, but it wasn't all right. And something terrible happened to them. They fell asleep. They went spiritually like unconscious. That's why Paul writes, Sleeper, wake up. Like, wake up. And I know this letter was written to the church in Ephesus. and not the church in America, but man, with this message of like, you used to be on fire for Jesus. Like you used to be ready to lay everything down at his feet and pursue him ruthlessly and desperately. But you've allowed yourself to soak for too long in the corrupt society around you and it has rendered you spiritually unconscious. I know this letter was written to Ephesus, but man, that goes a lot like the American church too sometimes. And I'm not pointing fingers. I mean I have felt like this at so many points in my Christian walk even in some moments when I've stood here in front of all of you and preached and that's a terrible and terrifying thing to admit. But we live in a society where if you do not keep your eyes fixed firmly on Jesus it literally takes no time at all before the lights go out spiritually for you. To the point where you're basically indistinguishable from a dead person. That's to say it's easy to become so spiritually unconscious that your life is basically indistinguishable from a non-believer. It's what happened in Ephesus, and in a lot of ways, it's what is happening in America. We've been spirit—we've been rendered spiritually unconscious. And I think we need to understand how this happens so that we can guard ourselves against it. Because man, it's deadly. Because the truth is, in America, we have a population of people who proclaim to be Jesus followers but are basically the walking dead. And, like, they'll say they're Jesus followers and they'll wear the shirts and they'll sing the songs and they'll wear the cross necklace, but, like, spiritually, parents, it's like when you have a newborn and, like, they're asleep and you have to, like, put your finger under their nose to make sure they're still breathing because they kind of look dead. Man, there's some people... Some Christians in America, and I'm sure around the world too, but really in America, there are so many Christians living this way where like you'd have to put your finger up to their nose to even get a sign of life because they've just been put to sleep. And so how does it happen? Uh, there, there are really three ways, and, and I'm actually going to use a parable told by Jesus to unpack this, a parable that we're actually going to be using to guide us as a church through a lot of what we do in 2024 and 2025. It's a parable that Jesus tells about a man who's scattering seeds. This man's scattering seeds and he's hoping that he can get the seeds to take root and grow. And Jesus says that this man throws seeds on four different kinds of soil. A hard path, soil full of rocks and stones, soil covered in thorns, and lastly good soil. And on the stone path, the hard path, the ground is like too hard. And the seeds can't even get in before the birds come and like snatch it and eat them up. And then on the, the the dirt that has stones in it, the seeds take root for a second, but like because of the rocks, they can't take deep root, and so they sprout up, but the sun like scorches them immediately. And then on the soil that's covered in thorns, the seeds take root, but they can't grow up because the thorns choke them out and, and kill them. And then finally on the good soil, the seeds take root. And this perfect and abundant crop flourishes and grows. And with this parable, Jesus is suggesting that every human being represents one of these four types of soil. And that the message of the gospel, what Jesus has done for us, represents the seed that's trying to take root in our lives. And so how does the enemy render us unconscious? Well, he turns us into any type of soil except for good soil. So I want to look at these this morning and the first way that we can be rendered spiritually unconscious is that we can be spiritually drugged. And this is like the hard path. Think of like anesthesia or someone like slipping something into someone's drink. And I'm really sorry if that's like triggering imagery for anyone, but it's subtle. You like barely even notice it, but it's poison. And this happens when Satan has you questioning the goodness of God. If you're familiar with the story of creation... In the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, God created everything, and he created mankind, and he told Adam and Eve that they could eat from any tree in the garden. You can eat from any of these trees, but if you ate from this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they would die. You can eat of literally any other tree. Everything else belongs to you, but if you eat of this one tree, you'll die. And the story picks up in Genesis 3. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. that she got drugged, it was subtle, right? That The serpent didn't come to her like holding fruit and say like, hey, look how delicious this looks. Like that'd be too obvious. That's not how you get put to sleep. Let's look at it. What's the reality? The reality is that God said they could eat from any tree except one. You can eat of any of these trees. And then what does Satan say to the woman? He says, did God say you couldn't eat of any tree? Like that's not even remotely true. God said every tree except for one, but it's just this little lie this little bit of poisoning and then eve says we can eat of all the trees except for one or we'll die and then what's the serpent say that's not true you won't die god only told you that because he's trying to hold you back from something and he slips this poison right into her drink and he makes her question and reality starts to blur even even though god had been nothing but good to adam and eve that's all they ever knew of God. He was good. He was amazing. He's blessed us with all these things. They had no reason to distrust him or question him. But the poison makes her start to question, does God really want what's best for me? Can God truly satisfy me? Like, what am I giving up by following him? Like, is it really worth it? You see, God gave Adam and Eve everything. He gave them everything. But what does Satan make her focus on? He makes her focus on the one thing that she couldn't have makes her resentful god gave him everything but one tree i don't know but if you ask me that feels like really generous right everything except for this one tree but how does satan make it feel he makes it feel extremely restrictive how dare god ask such a thing of you he doesn't know what's best you know what's best and eve breathes in That anesthesia and the Bible says she looked at the fruit and now it looked good for food and pleasing to the eye and so she ate it. Satan, he didn't even have to pluck the fruit off the tree. Instead, he, he drugged her perception of God. He's not generous. He's restrictive. He's not loving. He's controlling. He doesn't want what's best for you. He's just a tyrant. And over time, this will harden your heart. And regardless of what you hear, regardless of what you read, regardless of how hard God pursues you when you're unconscious and your heart is hardened like that, it's like the message can't even take root. It just gets snatched away. And maybe you've been in that place, like so disillusioned and numb that like you can sit in a church service where people are worshiping and going wild for Jesus and like maybe even a powerful message gets shared and you feel like nothing. Nothing. Because over time you've been drugged unconscious. And you might be in a spiritually strong place right now and it might seem impossible for you that you'd ever question or be poisoned. But I'm telling you, man, life happens. And in hard seasons, the enemy starts to whisper in our ear, especially when things don't go our way. And if you allow yourself to soak and entertain in those whispers long enough, it's like the drug starts to set in. And reality gets skewed. And I'm telling you, you will start finding excuses to distance yourself from God and his, and his people. And at that point, it's like the mask they put on you before surgery, where they're like, start counting backwards from 10, and you're like 10, 9, and you're just asleep. Not only have I seen it, I'm, I'm telling you guys, I have lived it. We can be drugged. The second way we can be rendered unconscious spiritually is we can be quietly lulled to sleep. And this is like the rocky ground. And hear me out because this is even more subtle, but it's just as heartbreaking. You know, for some, some people in the church, maybe even some people in this room, just like those Ephesians, there was a moment in your life, maybe it was like a youth conference that you went to, or maybe it was a Sunday morning service, or maybe it was just you in your bedroom, but there was a moment where you either metaphorically or literally like fell on your knees and gave your life to God. Where like whatever was going on in your life didn't matter anymore. And like you didn't care if you looked crazy or weird. And it didn't matter if people thought you were going overboard with this Jesus stuff. Why? Because you felt him. Like you felt him. You felt something shift inside of your heart. And it was the most powerful moment of your life. But for some of you guys, it's like you didn't really do anything after that. You never really started living this life. And maybe you've been living off of, like, emotions. Maybe you've just been chasing, like, spiritual highs, trying to live from one spiritual high to the next. Maybe you've learned to, like, manipulate yourself with worship music and things that make you feel really emotional for, like, a second. But then, like, as soon as that moment passes, just life is the exact same as it was before. And I know this because I've lived this too. This was me all throughout high school and even into my years in the Navy, just years and years of just going through the motion. years. Literally going to church, singing the songs, saying all the right things, but seeing zero transformation in my life. And before you know it, you go through the motions, and it's like a mobile on a baby's crib. It just goes slowly around And around the same routines, going through the motions, no transformation. You get comfortable just watching the days go by until one day it just like lulls you to sleep. And you're just out. And some of you guys are sleepwalking. Like you can't even really put a name to it. But it it makes you feel fake. It makes you feel like a fraud even as you're sitting in church. And I know people who have walked away from God and come to the conclusion like, it was all a lie. Everyone's just faking it in the church. There is no transformation. It's all about control or money or whatever else. You know how heartbreaking that is? You know how much my heart breaks for people like that? Because, like, they had a moment where, like, they had it. Like, they felt him. But then they were quietly put to sleep. And then the last way we can be rendered spiritually unconscious is that we can just be flat out choked out. So you have hard ground or being drugged, the enemy comes and starts whispering in your ear, making you question God. You have rocky soil, where it's just like you had this moment, but then you never really started living that life, and so it just kind of got snuffed out. And then this final soil speaks for itself, the thorns. Man, I don't have to tell you guys that life is hard. We talk about that pretty openly at this church. You know that. There aren't easy seasons of, of life, really. There, there aren't any off days. And even when things are going well, things might be going really well one second, and then all it takes is like one blow-up fight with your spouse or a friend or a family member, or like you make one small mistake at work, and you get like canned, or just one person just blows through a red light. And your whole world gets turned upside down in a moment. Like there, there comes a depth to the depravity of this life that eventually you find out that your own strength is just not enough. And this is coming from me, and I'm someone who is like, I will try to be self-sufficient by default. Like, if I'm not mindful, I'll just start living by my own strength. Like, I won't even think about God. I, I'll just get so busy with whatever frivolous thing that's going on in my life, I won't even think about Him. That's my confession. I'm a doer. Like, I'm a fighter. Like, I, I'll try to be my own hero in my own life, but here's the hard truth for people like me, I'm just no match for life. I'm no match for life, and, and as someone who struggles with both control and anxiety, man, if I give myself over to that, and I start to dwell on that, like, where's this money going to come from, and how am I going to get these kids to be where they need to be emotionally and spiritually, and how do I make sure this thing happens, or how do I make sure this thing doesn't happen and if you give yourself over to that stress or anxiety man I'm telling you it just like chokes you out and it'll just suck the spiritual life out of you and similar to being lulled to sleep it just puts you in a state of numbness a state of like spiritual sleepwalking like you're present but you're not really present maybe you'll hear something it'll connect like for a second but then it's like you've lost it by the time you're at lunch you're just like choked out and all three of these Non-receptive soils, man, they're deadly, you guys. And I'm, I'm telling you that if we just passively soak in our own society long enough that just like these Ephesians, we will be put to sleep if we haven't already. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And a sleeping church is literally indistinguishable from like no church at all. A Christian that is Spiritually asleep is is basically indistinguishable from a dead person. And it's heartbreaking, man. It's a heartbreaking way to live. And not just heartbreaking for you, but heartbreaking for God. That's why Paul wrote in this passage that living this way, like, grieves the Holy Spirit inside of you. That if you've said yes to Jesus, but you're asleep, that the Holy Spirit inside of you is, like, heartbroken at the state of your life. Like, what's going on? Like, grieving over the life that you could be living and listen to Paul's cry for the church in Ephesus and I, I believe it's just the same for the church in America. Awake, O oh sleeper. Awake, O oh sleeper and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. And so the question then becomes how do we wake up and become good soil? How do we wake up and become good soil? Well, let's read again how Paul answers this. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. The society you're living in, you're soaking in, will kill you. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart and giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think all these things can really be summed up with one phrase and coincidentally kind of connected to a song that we have already sang here this morning. But here's the hard truth first. You, You can't wake yourself up. You can't. Like even if you're asleep right now spiritually and like I'm verbalizing this to you, and you recognize it, and you're like, yes, that's me. I'm asleep. Even if that's happening for you, you still can't wake yourself up. Only God can wake you up. But what you can do is you can put yourself in the best position to be woken up by making yourself good soil. And you become good soil by making room for God. In January... We're going to start emphasizing this idea of becoming good soil, because in actuality, that's all you can really control. Like we, as a church, as individuals, as humans, we can't force a movement of God. We can't do that. We don't have that power. It doesn't matter if we had the most talented band, if you had the most talented speaker on the stage and you don't, but if you had the most talented speaker on the stage, it still wouldn't be enough. God is the only one who transforms. We can't force that, but what we can do is we can stay prepared to be transformed by committing to being good soil so that when the seeds do start being tossed, whether it's by way of a worship service or a sermon or reading the Bible or spending time with other believers like, or in your home group or whatever that is, so that when the seeds start flying at you, that you're actually ready to receive them and allowing them to take not like temporary but actual deep root. In your life, so you can experience the transformation that Jesus brings. If you want to wake up, if you want to experience transformation, if you want to experience the fullness of God, you have to be good soil. Otherwise, it'll just like bounce off of you or it'll be snuffed out before it can transform you. And you become good soil by making room for God. Well, what's that mean? If we just sang about it, we just sang the words, do we actually know? what we're talking about. Well, C.S. Lewis, he puts it this way. He says, relying on God has to begin all over again every day as if nothing yet had been done. That you can't depend on what God did for you yesterday. You can't hang your hat on what God did for you 15 years ago and think so that's enough. Like, you didn't just say yes to Jesus once and, like, that's the whole thing. You have to continue to say yes to Jesus every single day like, our God is a gentleman. Like, he's not going to bully his way into your life if you don't invite him in. It's every day. So, so you read your Bible today? That's awesome. We're right back at it tomorrow. You spent time in solitude with God today? That's awesome. We're right back at it tomorrow. Why? Because we don't just talk about God being our entire life. It, he actually is our entire life. And if God says His mercies are new for us every single day, what if we took that seriously and it's like, I'm not even walking out the front door until those mercies are like washed over my life. Whatever they are, I will get them. I will experience what God has for me today. You have to be intentional. Making room means approaching God every day like He actually is the foundation of your life, not just something you talk about. It's like pursuing Him and breathing Him in and connecting with Him and worshiping Him and I man, if I can just be completely transparent and honest with you guys, a lot of what goes into becoming good soil can feel extremely boring and tedious. A lot of it's like not romantic or like sexy at all. I'll be honest, man, most mornings I have a big Bible, an ESB Bible on my desk at the hub, and most mornings I find a passage and I'll like pour over it and I'll seek Jesus through it, And I'm telling you guys that like the number of times that the Holy Spirit has like overwhelmed me in that moment is actually not very high at all. It's a pretty low hit rate for like an emotional, like crazy, life-changing experience reading the Bible. Like I haven't broken down crying over the Bible that many times in my life. And you know what? That's okay. Because here's the thing. We're not always going to feel it. You don't have to feel it all the time. Spending time with God in daily prayer and reading scripture and, and, and fasting or practicing Sabbath or walking in obedience, doing these things, it's not always going to change your life in the moment. It's not always going to give you an emotional high, and we have to learn to be okay with that. Because here's what I can guarantee you the Bible says that, and God says that any effort to pursue Him is never in vain. He says, if you seek after me, you'll find me. Something happens every single time. It may not be emotional. Actually, it's often it's probably better if it's not emotional because then you're not going to become dependent on some like emotional feeling. But even when you don't feel it, doing these things and making room for God, it's doing what? It's, it's breaking up the soil in your heart. It's tending to it. It's like watering it and fertilizing it and just like preparing it so that when God does move, you're good soil. And when you're good soil, and the time for transformation comes, I'm telling you, man, there's nothing like it. But I promise you that if you're not willing to spend the boring moments with God and allow him to prepare you for transformation, then when the moment of transformation comes, it'll just be purely emotional. And it'll either, like, pass you by, or you'll feel it for a second, and then it'll be gone as quickly as it came. But man, if we decide to live outside of the mess of our society, like not just passively soak in it until it puts us to sleep, but actively fight against it by ruthlessly pursuing our God. We're going to talk more about this soon. But I encourage you guys to just prepare your hearts and minds for whatever God may be trying to do in 2024 and 2025. This church will be good soil When the time for transformation comes. Like we're going to fight for our faith. We're going to pursue God like he actually is everything. And we're going to be changed. And we just invite you to be a part of that. I have no doubt. God has big plans for us. if We'll just wake up. Wake up. Let's pray. Lord I pray. That the words of Paul. Are not words that condemn us to make us feel like I can't do all of that, I can't even I can't stop doing these things. I can't do these things. I, I, I'm hopeless at this. I'm never going to get this because I know that's not the point of what he's writing. I know the point of this passage is is to say, man, you, you had it. You experienced the goodness of God and 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 you've drifted away from it, and now you're living a life that's just not fulfilling. It's not what God desires for you. And I know how many times I've been in that place in my life, and I. I'm sure that there's at least one person in this room that's experiencing that. Lord, we need you to wake us up. And I, I pray that you, you just make a shift in our hearts and our minds that, that these things that like, we may consider boring and not exciting and like maybe we don't, every time we open up the Bible, I don't necessarily change my life in the moment, but that we'll just commit to doing these things, to commit to trying to be the best soil possible because I know you're trying to transform us and we don't want to miss that. We don't want to sleep through that we don't want to sleepwalk through this life god we don't want to be indistinguishable from people who don't even believe we want to be people who have a hope and a purpose and a life and are just on fire for you and who cares what the rest of the world is doing like we're about your business father help us to take these steps give us clarity give us whatever our next step is prepare us for whatever you're going to do so that we can be transformed when the time comes help us to make room god Whatever that looks like in our life, commit to making room so that you can change us, so that you actually are the foundation of our life. Not just this decision we made 15 years ago, not just this thing that we passively attach our names to, but something that actually is everything. Because you are everything, Jesus. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen.